And uh, I wonder who's going to bug Pastor John when I'm gone. Um, It has been such a delight, and thank you so much for all your encouragement. Many came up uh, with just saying, God met with me. Uh, I understand now that questions were answered, and that is always so gratifying when you know that God was able to come through you and uh, minister to his people. And we just do it better together, don't we? We, we really do. And um, I got to see snow. And uh, <laughs> uh, so it was just a few flakes, but it doesn't take much to satisfy a crazy woman. <laughs> and so I was grateful for that. Um, I love this joke. Um, um, oh, my joke's gone. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> With all the new techni- technology regarding fertility, a 65-year-old woman was celebrating her birthday. Wonder what I could do at 65 I've never done. Hmm, I think I will go to the fertility clinic and volunteer. When she was discharged from the hospital, she went home and her her relatives came to visit her. She had surely gotten pregnant and gave birth to a seven-pound baby boy. The relatives were amazed. By this time, she was 66 years old. We have come to see the new baby, she said. "Mm, Not yet, said the mother. Let's make coffee and can we visit for a while. Thirty minutes passed and another relative replied, May we see the baby now? "Mm, No, not yet, said the mother. Let's spend another few minutes just talking. After 30 minutes, another relative said, May we see the baby now? No, not yet. Let's talk some more. Growing impatient was her nephew. Finally, he said, well, I want to know, when can we see the baby? She said, when he cries. What do you mean when he cries? I forgot where I put him. (laughs) Ah, that's bad. (laughs) But anybody 60 and over goes, amen. (laughs) It is incredible, the wisdom of a holy and awesome God. And how he put this book together for you and I. So that somehow through the power of his son, Jesus Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit. We might understand part of the scriptures on our journey. And that he would reveal his mind and his heart and his very emotions. It is incredible, this awesome God, that when he decided that man could not keep covenant, after six covenants that were cut in the Old Testament, he realized that man did not have the ability to do it. He swore by his own self, wrapped himself around his son, and the power of the Holy Spirit breathed upon that moment. And he sent his only begotten son to become the blood sacrifice for our new covenant that we see and enjoy and have the privilege of being what the Bible calls born again.
It is incredible that when he looked down, God in all his infinite wisdom had already created a man called Joseph. And he had formed him in his mother's belly and brought him forth. And he had already formed a woman called Mary. And the angels would come and announce that this incredible birth would take place and no man would be involved in it. That Mary would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And so tonight I want you and I to realize without the overshadowing power of the Holy Ghost, we will never birth the kingdom of God. It takes the overshadowing. It's not a man. It's not a person. It's not a denomination. It's that encounter with the Holy Ghost that knows what was formed in the belly of Mary. This righteous man called Joseph is incredible to me. In fact, on the day when he returns that he will give out rewards according to our faithfulness to him and our obedience and doing his will and performing why he created us, I long to look at the moment when he looks at Joseph, a carpenter. Because it was at taxation time when Mary was nine months pregnant and Joseph literally walked her in to the city called Bethlehem of Judea. All his relatives were present. There was talk surely going on among them that Joseph and Mary were engaged, but now Mary is full term with the baby. And yet Joseph so submitted to God that he laid down his reputation because he knew what his assignment was, and that was protect the seed so it can come forth. What an incredible challenge to us tonight as our government and our education system, as society and even denominations that have been long existing in our nation called America now no longer protects the seed, the living word of God. They change it and adapt it so that it will fit society and it will please men and stroke them and offend no one. But Joseph had an incredible assignment, I will protect the seed. He was raised in a carpenter shop. What an incredible thing because he would become a king. And you would think by your own natural understanding that Jesus would grow up in a palace so that he would know how kings acted and how kings' authorities executed things and how to give decrees and orders. But instead, God puts him inside of a carpenter's house. And this earthly father raises this son of God for 30 years. And this little boy, from the time that he could toddle, would walk out into the carpenter's shop with Joseph. He would watch Joseph's skill as he would make things. The conversation had to go something like this. Son, unless you do it right, it won't be able to be passed on to the next generation. Because you never cut corners and make junk. Can I, can I talk to you? There must have been some kind of conversation going on as Jesus grew up and he began to come familiar with this sound. 
And as he heard it, it was the hammer and the nails that Joseph very accurately with his eyes could hit the head of a, of a nail and drive it deep into the wood so that when he came to Calvary, the sound of hammer and nails were very familiar to him. Can I talk to you tonight? He had heard that sound for 30 years in his father's carpenter shop. And he realized the words that must have been spoken, that he had come not only to be the Savior and the Redeemer, but build a house that would last for eternity where God could dwell inside of it. Can I please have an amen from somebody that is saved tonight? And in the midst of it, he opened not his mouth. They laid him on wood. He was familiar with it for 30 years. They hammered the nails, and he was familiar with that because he knew that what man thought was defeat, God was shedding blood over wood to build a house called you and I tonight where the Spirit of God and Emmanuel could dwell within us, but not without pain and sacrifice. As he goes up to Golgotha, he must have realized this is my reason why I came. I didn't come to heal the sick or raise the dead or have miracles or break bread and fishes. I only did that because I'm full of compassion. And whenever I see people empty, I've got to fill them. Come on. And when they're hurting, I got to heal them. And when they're lost, I got to save them. And when they're empty, I've got to come to them and make them know the fullness of who God is. But I really came with an assignment from the Father that has yet been fulfilled, and that is to reconcile man back to God. And in the midst of it, many of us get frustrated sometimes because our prayers have yet to be answered. But I want you to know there's a prayer Jesus prayed that has yet to be answered. And if God can hold out to the right time to answer his son's prayer, we should hold out until God answers our prayer. And the prayer is in John 17 when he said, Father, that they would be one with you even as I am one. And they would glorify you because glory is not a feeling or experience, but I know I've glorified you because I I finished what you gave me to do. Can I talk to you tonight that the pressure prophetically that is going to come on our nations are going to try to make Christians become quitters? Come on, there will be a great falling away. The Bible has already prophesied that many will fall away because the pressure will be so great we will want to quit. But I want you to know tonight, if you want to glorify God... Quitting is not an option. Come on, you can't quit. you got to finish what God gave you to do. And that is an incredible moment in the life that we are going to look at now because Elijah's old. And he is about to make his exit out. But God has planned from the foundation of the earth that he will stand and confront false prophets and God will open the heavens and it will rain and and Elijah will see the faithfulness of God in an incredible God moment because God will never give you hopes and dreams and then fill you with disappointment. Can I, can I talk to some people tonight? For, oh, son, I've hewed you out like a rock that was ragged and ragged indeed, 
like a rock that was hard that I looked and I saw and I did see. And I took a hammer and I began to chisel it indeed. And I said, oh, this one's hard, but look at me. And I chipped here and I chipped there and I chipped here and there indeed. For the Lord had a marvelous plan that you could not see. But I tell you, oh, son of man, do not let go of your dreams indeed for God never starts anything that he doesn't finish it you see for I tell you what I've begun you will live to shout the victory for they will even see you run around this church with your hands lifted up and shouting indeed and your feet moving because of the great victory for I tell you hell at one time said this one belongs to me and I addressed hell and said step back you won't live to see it indeed for I am hewing this rock indeed and upon a solid rock I'll put this rock and it will honor and glorify me and I tell you oh son he that began the great work in thee shall finish it indeed for there are even those in your family that said it will never happen we will never see but I tell you I laugh in the heavens and say they do not know me for I tell you oh son I will bring peace of mind to you indeed and I will bring joy again in your heart it will spring up like living water indeed and I will cause you to have confidence where you lift your head up indeed and I will chisel away all self confidence and cockiness that you will look and be confident in your God indeed for I tell you, you will not fail for greater is he that is in you than he that has power in the world indeed. Stand back and see the salvation of God for I rise to fight for thee. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Boy, I just want to take a moment and say, that's me, God. Come on, don't you just want to take a moment and say, God, chisel out me, God. Come on, don't you just love it when hell says it can do something and God laughs in the face of hell and says, excuse me, I am greater than you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more word. There are times you don't believe in yourself and there are times others don't believe. But I believe enough for all of us. Hallelujah. 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 Woo, I feel good. <laughs> Where was I, Lord? <laughs> Everybody knows you're supposed to do that at the end of the meeting. Dr. Ryan said that woman's been crazy since the beginning. If you have your Bibles tonight. Jesus is 12 years old. His mother and daddy lose him. They cannot find him anywhere. 
that sound familiar to some parents? I had my son, he's 52. I had him page. I said, can you page my son? I was at Walmart the other day. The lady looked at me and said, how old's your son? I said, he's 52. And I said, I've lost him. She said, really? I said, I lost him at four, and I'm still losing him at 52. And so she got on the microphone and said, Buster, your mother is looking for you at 52. Come to the front. And he came. But aren't there times when your kids acted up in church? Oh, I know y'all all had saints. They'd act up and somebody would say, who do those kids belong to? And you'd be standing right there saying, I have no clue. (laughs) And wasn't it embarrassing when they followed you to the car and called you mama? Come on, and they had to go home with you. Come on, but they grew up. They found their brain. Uh, You submitted enough to God not to go to prison. And so now we are going to look at Jesus, 12 years old. It's important. It's a key to tonight. His parents look for him. They cannot find him. And much to their amazement, as they backtrack, he is in the temple, and he is sitting with the scribes and the Pharisees that are in there. And the scribes are amazed because this 12-year-old boy rose out the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to read Isaiah with authority and explain what Isaiah meant when he recorded the words down. And they are astounded. And as his parents come in, they are looking at him. And they are saying, we've been looking for you. And Jesus opens his mouth with these incredible words that I want to leave with you prophetically tonight. Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Church, when we get saved, we are called to be about our father's business. And at 12 years old, he knew what he was born for. He knew what he had been called for. He knew exactly why the Father had sent him. And he said, did you not know I would be about my Father's business? If you have any Jewish background or Jewish culture, you will understand that there are many sects of Jews. There are different ones. There are Orthodox. There there are all kinds. But one particular Jewish people, they really believe that at Bar Mitzvah, when a young boy is 12 years old and he is about to be brought into manhood, he is now at 12 years old. This is very disturbing to me where our children's ministry is in the church because at 12 years old, he knows three-fourths by memory the first five books of the Bible. We have 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds that don't even know the books of the Bible. Let's well quote them. 
because we are now entertaining our children, trying to keep them in the church rather than instructing our children so they can become the church. Can I, can I talk to you? And they know three-fourths of it. And the rabbi will ask them certain questions. And they will reply with the word of God. And the rabbi has an ear to listen. Because he's not only listening for the accuracy of the words they will say, but he is listening to see if parents had imparted to their children a passion behind the words. And he will listen to see if they love the word, if they love the God of the word. And he will choose certain ones that have this passion burning inside of them to come and sit at his feet and he will, he will teach them and instruct them. And out of that, they hope they will raise up to be what is called rabbis, teachers. But isn't it amazing tonight that we need to hear very clearly, you cannot teach anything that will be imparted to a next generation if there's no passion. Come on, we're losing our children inside the church because the parents and the people sitting here, we've lost our passion. We've not lost our routine. We show up, but we've lost our passion. And in the midst of it, it is a desire of every Jewish woman that the rabbi will choose her son because he has passion. And there is an old saying that is in some of the old Jewish homes that record this. It's not biblical, but it's recorded as a tradition or a culture. And these are the words they will say. If the rabbi chooses you, walk close enough to him so that the dust off of his feet will fall upon your clothes. And tonight... I am here to tell you one of the most incredible names of Jesus is Rabbi Rabona, the teacher. And we need to walk close enough to the disciples did with Jesus when he said, come follow me. It was that old tradition, not biblical, it's a tradition. But he was hoping when he said, come follow me, and they walked close enough to him that the dust of how he walked this thing out would settle upon their garments. And when he ascended to heaven, it was so clinging to them, they would walk like the rabbi had walked for three and a half years. Can I talk to you? Because that's the challenge to us tonight. Is not do we love God, But are we close enough to the rabbi to open the book with passion to learn and let him teach us that how he walks settles on my garment. And when I begin to walk, people see that I walk like he walked. That's a challenge to you and I tonight. This thing of loving God has been the easiest thing in the world for me. And to praise him has even been easier because I know where I would be if he hadn't found me. Can I talk to you? Once you forget where he found you, you will lose your praise. Come on, some people should have shouted glory, hallelujah. 
Because what generates praise is he didn't tell anybody else where you were when he founded you. Come on, he just came after you and found you and saved you by his incredible grace. And you praise him because you could have been left to yourself and hell said, you are so self-destructive, I don't even have to show up. Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, somebody ought to give a shout right now. I'm telling you. And it's been easy for me to praise God because I know where he found me. And can I say this? It's none of your business. Come on, I know where he found me. Full of pride and arrogance and stuck up. And if anybody didn't act like me, I thought they were on the wrong train. Come on, I know where he found me. Full of religion and phoniness. Come on, on, I know where he found me. When I wasn't truthful. I know where he found me. When I had bad thoughts. Oh, somebody better amen me right now. Come on, because you don't want me to come lay hands on your brain. I know when I'd sit in church and tell somebody I love you, but I hated their guts. I wouldn't care if a train ran over them after service. Oh, y'all acting like y'all never been mean. I know where I was. And in the midst of it, praise has been easy for me. Because somehow God will never let me forget where he found me. Bound by religion and arrogant pride. I would have made the best Pharisee that God ever had. Because you see, Pharisees aren't fair, you see. Can I I talk to some people out here? Come on, or you may have made a Sadducee. You sad, you see, and anybody you get around, you ain't happy to. You make them sad, you see. (laughs) So I know where he found me. Studying the word, I love the word. I can study the word, get lost in it for hours. God's given me a gift of revelation. I, I, I tell you, when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I opened the Bible and it just came alive. And I thought everybody that happened to. And so I lined all my Baptist friends up and shock a over them. And I said, now open the book. You're going to see it. They opened the book and said, we don't see nothing. <laughs> and I realized God gave me a gift. And come on, when you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God gave you a gift. You may have to recognize it on your journey, but God gave you a gift. Come on, and and isn't it wonderful that God wants to protect you and, and perfect you? And isn't it amazing that God can give nasty anointing to church folk to perfect you? Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Come on, no matter how you shock a bock and chandelier, come on, they nasty. Come on, and they're on assignment. Ah, come on, I know it isn't in Faith Christian Center. They went to another church, right? (laughs) And we have giftings from God because he wants us to complete the church. That's that's what I heard so loud and clear. You're too hard on yourself. (laughs) 
Come on. That, that doesn't mean he's going to slide, but you're just too hard on yourself. Because God sees something of value he wants you to see. I, I'm telling you. You know, sometimes we're, we're our worst enemy. One day a man came up to me and said, women can't preach. And you're so out of order and so rebellious. You need to repent, shut up, and sit down. And I looked at him and I said, hmm, okay. Well, here's what I want to say to you. God got to me before you. Your voice don't sound like him. So your opinion doesn't count. And if you want to remain ignorant, brethren, that is your own choice. Come on. Remember when the donkey opened its mouth? Come on, and prophesied. I love the King James Bible. It said it was a she-ass. So very kindly, I looked at him and went, and went and said, I am. What's God given you to do? Because there is something that will not be completed here until you do it. Where does a rabbi need to come? Jesus Christ, the teacher, Rabona. You sit at his feet and he opens the book. And this is what is happening when we look at this incredible last part of 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all of the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar. And the altar of the Lord had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar so that it was great and it would contain two full loads of seed. And he put loads of wood in order, and he cut up the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water, and pour the water from the jar on the burnt offering and upon the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And then he said, would you do it the third time? And they did it the third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the evening offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And that I'm your servant, and that I have done all these things according to your word. Answer me, O Lord God, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their 
hearts back to yourself. And when all the people and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell upon their face and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Keshron, and he slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rushing rain. And so when Ahab went up to eat and to drink, Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed down to the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And when they went up and looked, there is nothing they said. And he said, go again. And he commanded them to do it seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jerusalem. And at the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he gathered up all of his garments, and he ran before Ahab to enter the city of Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to ask God to do something for us tonight. See, I really, I really believe that God is positioning this church. And please hear me, because I know that your pastor probably would not say this, and um, I'm going to say it because God's told me to say it, and I get to leave town. (laughs) I love traveling. When God gets ready to choose a church, it's not that he doesn't love every church. It does not mean that every church does not have an assignment. But there are certain churches when there is about to be a showdown of who God is, he just chooses and it's based on the fact that God sees something like this. Please let me use you as an example. You're going to be okay. He sees something like this. Other people don't see it. Even he doesn't see it. It looks impossible to him. It looks impossible to other people. But God sees in the heart. Come on. He doesn't see the outside. He sees, he looks on the inside of the heart. And no matter how it's acting or manifesting on the outside, God sees the pliability on the inside. That's why we miss the potential of God in people because we're always looking at where they are and not how God can take them where they need to be. Come on. And see, sometimes we even do that to ourselves. 
We'll just see where we are. I'm not praying. I'm a mean person when you back me up against the wall. I don't read the word. I don't even tithe half the time. Come on, we're hard on ourselves. And I'm not saying that God's going to let us slide. But remember again, God's not looking at the conduct on the outside. He's looking, can the heart yield to me? Come on, is it pliable? Is it soft enough that I can change the heart? Because you can change behavior, but if the heart didn't change, the behavior will go back to where it was. Amen. Come on, can, can I talk to you tonight? And so God has looked down at Faith Christian Center. Now, I cannot tell you tonight why he would look at this crazy group. Come on. Any more than I can answer the question why he let this crazy woman come to this crazy group. I cannot answer why God looked down, but God looked down and he said, I see your behavior. And it can't stay that way, but I see your heart. And if I can get my heart in there, I'm the greatest physician that ever did open heart surgery. Come on. And where the blood isn't flowing. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me tonight. I can cut it open and circumcise it and mark it. And I can get a blood flow going inside of there that that heart becomes tenderized and it becomes alive. And I can see potential that you cannot see. And I'm here to tell you tonight, I make a decree in the heavens. And I honestly have to tell you tonight, I have no idea what that means, but I make it. Come on, come on. Come on. How many of you know what I'm saying? Because half the people that are making decrees, they don't have no idea either. But a decree was something that you didn't speak, but you heard it by the Spirit. And the decree you made, you came in agreement with what you heard by the Spirit. And when you came in agreement, God began to work. And the decree over this word is somehow God has found in this church pliable clay. Come, Come on. Now, I can't explain it. Come on, you, you don't have a pastor that jumps through hoops and shock-a-box and Honda laws and pushes everybody down and glory to God. Come on. We had lunch today. He paid for it. And I'll tell you, he didn't take me to McDonald's. <laughs> because Anita looked at me and she said, I'm the coordinator of all the events and I will tell him where to take you. All right. And I said, you go, Anita. All right. And we're sitting at the table. Now, if there's any, are there any lawyers here? Where? Richard, oh, no wonder I put my hands on your head. <laughs> Let me come back there and do that again. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Just, 
I'm telling you, he, he needs a woman. Y'all need to pray <laughs> for him to get a wife. Come, come on, we all need, this man needs a wife. So the whole church needs to break out in faith. Do you need a wife? Yes. Okay, we need two wives. I like you. You know why? Because I pick on people that I know won't get offended. Thank you. If I'd known you were a lawyer, I might have had a second thought. (laughs) But we were sitting in the restaurant, and two men came in and sat down to the table next to me. And I said to Anita, because John had left the table, I said to Anita, they're lawyers. She said, you think? They're lawyers. Because there's something about how lawyers walk. (laughs) Come here. I really like you. (laughs) Come. They just, they dress and they walk. And you know... When, when I look at how they walk, listen, they walk with confidence. They don't know what about, but they walk with confidence. Come on, and there's something about them that you can just see their brain turning. Come on, they have a brain. I didn't say they used it all the time. I just said they had a brain. Come on, but they have a brain. And there's something when they walked in the restaurant... I went, they're two lawyers. And your pastor used to be a lawyer. Mm. So I said to him, what do you think? He said, they're lawyers. (laughs) But if you know, it takes one to know one. (laughs) And then I kind of eavesdropped. (laughs) And they were lawyers. And in the midst of it, what I want to say to you and I, the reason I'm bringing that illustration is whatever God's called us to do, we ought to walk and carry our head up and people can identify why we're in this church. Now, God's called this church and he's called it to be prophetic. That doesn't mean everybody's going to prophesy. But prophetic means he is willing, able, and desirous to put a mind of God in this congregation, a heart of God, and a will of God that God is doing what he wants to do, not what you're telling him to do. Come on, now I'm going to offend some of you. And God's laid his hand on this church. Now stay with me. God had to remove some people, come on, who won't let him put his hand on them. Come on, you're not going to like me, but I'm leaving town. Come on. Doesn't mean they're evil. Come on, doesn't mean they're wicked. 
It just means they won't let God change their thinking. So he can't get his mind in there for the purpose that he has for this church. And he can't get his heartbeat there for the purpose of this church. And he can't get his will performed because you have to line up with his mind and his heart before he'll ever uncover his will. And God had to remove some people. Now, the reason I'm bringing it up, come on, I'm fixing to go where angels fear to tread. Turn around and say, that's the craziest woman I've ever met. Y'all going to pray I get healed before I die, don't you? But listen to me. We've got to settle it in our heart that God knows who he can pliably work with and who he can't. And that doesn't mean that after they leave and they go over here that God can't fulfill another purpose, but the purpose of this church is prophetic. That means that God wants to come down in this place and his kingdom come and his will be done. Do you you hear what I'm saying? That every person sitting in this congregation lives a life that performs the will of God from sunrise to sunset and go to bed saying, I know I glorified God. And that's what God wants to do in here. And so this next part that we look at Elijah is very, very important. Because I have declared, I mean, I've made a decree. I believe it with all of my heart. They know me. I am not a flatterer. Come on, I don't have time for it. I'm too old and cranky. Come on. I'm not here to flatter you. There's not a scripture that says flatter people. It says you can build them up. Come on, and you can encourage them, but flattering lips are not from God. But I'm here to tell you there has been a decree, and the second thing I want you to know is I probably, and he knows it because we're friends and he's not going to be offended, if I looked around the congregation, I probably wouldn't have chosen a Boston lawyer to be the pastor of this church. Oh, y'all are not hearing me. I'd want to look around and see who could be a cheerleader. Come on, because everybody was was down when God said, I'm flushing it out. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. I'd be looking for someone that could go rot his boom. Glory to God. There ain't a rot his boom in this man. (laughs) And when he gets excited, he goes, I'm like, that's all you can give me? We're sitting at the table and I'm preaching up a storm and he's all excited and he goes, wow. And I'm going. But I'm talking to you. Come on, because we're going to get to the end of this thing. Come on, I'm talking to you because God's anointing does not rest on emotions. Come on, please hear me. 
God's anointing rests upon the pliability of our heart to yield to God and to be changed. The third thing I want you to see is God took a man that had all this training, all this intellect, come on, could give you a case, come on, make you win, come on, and God had to flush all of that out to put his mind in. Come on, because God looked on the inside and said, what is up here in this little noggin is not going to work. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And so God came and began to mess with this mind. Come on. Doubts, confusion. I'm just talking to the history. I don't know if I'm the one. Maybe somebody else could do it better. Oh, no, I am the one. Come on. And God looks down and says, excuse me, I'm the one. Come on. And God had to keep coming to him over and over again. Then take him to the tabernacle to make him know, I pitched you in dirt and the tent isn't worth anything if I don't come inside of it. Can Can I talk to you? I had to laugh when he handed me his book. I said, you have no old clue prophetically what God's trying to say to you. <laughs> Y'all better take a good look at me because I may not be back. <laughs> Come on, this is a Kodak moment. Click, click, click. Because God will give us God thoughts and we don't even understand the God thoughts we're getting. And in the midst of it, Elijah is stepping up. If he were here tonight and Elijah took his place behind the word of God in this pulpit, he would say, come to me. Draw near to me. That's what the scriptures. Don't stand off way back there. Come on up to the front. Come on up. Draw near to me because what I'm fixing to uncover, I want you to be close enough to the truth that you not only receive it and see it and believe it, you apply it. Amen. You apply it. So come on up closer. Those words come and draw near are not just words to fill up a verse. What he is saying is when you don't know the God purpose of a church. Can I I just add this? It's amazing, but we need deliverance tonight. Turn around to your neighbor and say, I know you do. Stay, stay with me a minute. Jesus, please help me. We need to understand tonight that the church is not a democracy. Come on, you don't get to vote about one thing. 
Come on. In fact, when you vote for something and say all in favor say aye, God laughs in the heaven and said they're acting stupid again. Again. Come on, because he don't run his church by democracy. It's a theocracy, which means he's in charge of the whole building plan. Come come on. And he's in charge of everything. And you don't vote on what God says is truth and right. right. You don't get to vote. See, that frustrates me as a Baptist because I love business meetings. Come up, because I thought I had power when I said, I. We should have had a clue when we said, I. Come on, we didn't say God, we said, I. Come on, all of us act like idiots together, I. It's a, th- it's a theocracy. <laughs> Which means the only vote you have is to come in agreement with God. God, and when you come in agreement with God, then things begin to happen. So Elijah says to them, come near. Now, let's look at this thing tonight because I really, really want God to leave some principles with this church. Number one, we have to settle that God knows who to take out and put in a church. Come on, can I say this? Please don't give that much credit to the devil. Come on, it's God's church. And God loves everybody that stays, and he loves everybody that goes. But the ones that go cannot fulfill their purpose inside of this sanctuary, so they got to get in another sanctuary. Come on, can can I just talk to you? And tonight I want the Holy Ghost, I'm really asking him, I'm pleading with him for myself and for you and Pastor John and the elders and the deacons and the leaders and the believers that are here. I'm pleading with God that the Holy Ghost will come and we will hear truth and that truth will so pound inside of us, we will accept it. Come on, because truth can't be worked in you if you reject it. Come on, you've got to accept it. Even when you don't agree with it and you don't like it, come on, if if you are in sin and someone comes and says, I want you to know this is sin, we've got to deal with it, and you can say, I'm not in that sin, and you can reject it. And listen, if you reject it, you'll stay the same. But if you'll accept it, God will begin to work redemption and restoring and delivering and healing and you won't stay the same. So that we accept truth. The second thing, we believe it is true. Come on, you got to believe it's true. Not just saying, I accept it, but I believe that's true. Come on, many a life is shipwrecked because they won't accept Discipline from the church, and because they won't be disciplined by the church, what happens is they reject it and they end up looking like everything's okay. But I promise you, if they didn't get set free and healed, they're going to crumble and fall apart. 
come on, because you've got to do it God's way. So I've got to accept it. I've got to believe it. Then I've got to receive it. And the way I receive it is I tell the Holy Spirit, I accept that it's God's word. Come on, I believe it's God's word. And now I'm going to receive it, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit, push it inside of me. Because until it touches my heart, it is legalism. Come on. And it is not truth, and it is not life. Come on, so I, I got to not only accept it and believe it, I've got to receive it so that it gets on the inside of me so I'm changed and transformed from glory to glory. Now, Elijah is looking at him. Again, hear the word of the Lord. Israel, the chosen people of God, the church, just like you and I, the church sitting here, had so compromised and had become so religious that they were not doing it God's way. And the prophetic voice had to come to them and say, one of your problems is when the word comes to you, you don't draw near. Come on, you don't draw near. Come on, you're looking at your watch, the football game's about to start, you got to go meet friends for lunch. Come on, come on, you're distracted, and when the Word of God comes to you, you don't draw near, but if you'll come near, this thing will have such an impact on you that it will change you from glory to glory, and people will see the mind and the heart and the will of God in the earth. And church, that's the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, come on, thy will be done, come on, in earth as it is in heaven. That's the call of this church. Oh, I wish I could part for two weeks right here. Because you, if you don't know the call of this church, you can't come in agreement with it. Because you'll always have an opinion. Oh, y'all are not hearing me. And so he says, come, draw near. That means every time I come in the sanctuary and it's time for praise, it's time for worship, it's time for prayer, it's time for giving, it's time for offerings, it's time to greet. I've got to draw near to this thing. I can't be sitting on a pew aloof from everything and just say, well, I came to church this morning because I'm a good person and walk out the door. I've got to say, Holy Spirit, Draw me near to the throne of God. Draw me near to the mind of God. Draw me near to the heart of God. Draw me near to the will of God. Draw me. And see, I wish I had about five or six hours to talk about worship because we are so off track in our worship. Because now it's become a performance where everybody sings. And listen, you can sing to a God that you don't even know or even pray to.
Come on, I'm leaving town. Thank you, Jesus. But I shall return. No. So Elijah steps forward. Why? Why would God separate some people that love the Lord? Come on, the issue's not, the people that left, the issue's not, did they love God? Come on, we, we need to get this settled. Come on, you got to settle it, not in your head, but in your heart. The issue isn't that some people left the church and, and they, well, they must not love God or something's really wrong with it. No, the issue's not they didn't love God. The issue was that God looked and said, I got to put you over here for another purpose because I look on the heart and I see what needs to be done so this thing can cohese in unity and bring forth the purposes of God in the earth. That doesn't mean he looks at some and says, I love you, I hate you. Come on, that's not what it is. God knows where we will best represent him. Oh, y'all ain't hearing. He knows. Come on, he took Sam Smith out of this church. Come on, and Sam Smith wasn't immoral. He was crazy, but he wasn't immoral. (laughs) But you know what I admire about Sam? Come on, all his little quirks. Come on. I'm talking the ones that were here. All his little quirks, everything that you didn't understand and you did understand. Sam at least knew when his assignment had come to an end. Boy, and that's a man of God. Because I don't care where you're serving. It's not forever. And we need to know when our assignment is over. That's why I want to remind you, my assignment with you is not over. Okay. Okay. I need a lawyer. And Sam knew it was over. And listen, Sam stepped down. Come on, because listen, God, if we won't step down, God will remove us and get us where we need to get because we're not understanding the assignment. And there are some people I've walked with for years and God has separated me from them because they were part of my assignment at the beginning, but to finish my assignment, they do not serve a purpose in what God wants to do. Can I talk to you tonight? Because this thing has to be settled. And so God calls this church prophetic. Then he says, come draw near. And now Elijah is going to step up and there is one motive in him. It is not signs, miracles, and wonders. There's one motive in his heart. It's not to prove I have the greatest faith of any man that ever walked the face of the earth. Please stay with me. His assignment is he realizes 
when people sit in a church and there is a transition and some stay and some go and you don't understand it, Elijah realized that it is going to affect how you have a concept of who God is and it will affect your relationship with God. And Elijah understands that when you sit afar off and you don't draw near to ask God to help you process and help you receive and help you accept. Elijah understands this. Somebody's got to stand up and say, it's not about men and it's not about women and it's not about whose side are you on. It's time to realize the name of the Lord has to be vindicated. And that's what God's trying to do in this church. Come on, I wish I could sit down and break this down. Come on, because we're going to gallop from this point. God's trying to vindicate his name. Come on, because God will let you and I do a lot of crazy things. I'm talking, I'm preaching to myself. Come on, you don't have to amen me. I brought my own. You and I can do a lot of crazy things. And God will let us get by with it. But if we get crazier and crazier, the name of the Lord is attached to what we're doing. Come on, I want you to hear me. And so God looks and says, you can act crazy. And I know I'm dealing with craziness, and I can change you. Come on, how many of you can like, come on, we got to have some witnesses in the house that God can conquer craziness. Come on, nudge your neighbor and say, I live with you. Amen, Matt. Come on, come on. And we do a whole lot of crazy things. But listen. When it begins to pull the name of God into our craziness, God has to stand up and say, excuse me, it's not about people. Come on, excuse me, it's not about a church. Excuse me, it's not about a denomination. It's vindicating my name that I don't care how crazy you are if, you will be honest and let me deal with it. But when you start hiding your craziness, then you have put a black mark on my name and I'm coming to vindicate my name. Come on, God doesn't care how crazy we get if we get him involved in our craziness. But when we start representing the name of God and the kingdom of God and we won't invite God into our craziness, then God said, I've got to rise up and do some separation and readjusting because now what's at jeopardy is my name. Come on, not a person's name. I don't care who you think I'm talking about. I don't care what name's coming in front of you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the name of the Lord God that says, I love crazy people, but you will deal with your craziness. Amen. 
And so Elijah stands up and he's going to vindicate the name of the Lord. And what he is going to show is what God is trying to get through to this church. Now I wish I could park here. What he's trying to get to this church is my kingdom is not built on a person. And he's trying to get the truth across to the congregation that is up on Mount Carmel, the congregation that's here. He alone is God. And church, whether we want to park here or not, and he can stop me at any moment that he wants, whether we want to park here or not, how we live our life is a testimony to who God is in our life. That's why I love that little lawyer back there. What's your name? I'm going to pray for your wife. Who? Richard. Richard? All right. You know why I love you? Intellectual, smart, lawyer. Come on. But he's in church. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Because he knows he ain't that smart. Because he understands all the brilliance and all the gifts and all the talents that God has given him and all the ability. Without God, he cannot do it right. Come on, because schooling don't teach you how to do it right. Come on, I don't care what Bible school you go to. When I came out of my Greek class, (laughs) my Greek professor said, you were the most outstanding student I've ever had in the 40 years I've taught. It was Greek when you came in, and it was Greek when you went out. (laughs) That was not a compliment. (laughs) Why? Because Elijah's saying, When you live your life contrary to the name of God, whether you want it or not, I will step in to vindicate my name. And see, the American church doesn't understand that. It's called church discipline. We call it abuse, criticism, judgmentalness. we, We call it all kinds of stuff. Come on, turn around and just look at your neighbor. That's because we're all still crazy. (laughs) He calls the people to come forth, and what does he say? We got a problem here. Faith Christian Center, you have a problem. Please let the Holy Ghost open your ears right now. And again, Pastor John can stop me at any time that he wants to stop. Faith Christian Center has a problem. The problem isn't, do I love God? The problem isn't, do I want to honor God or serve God? The problem isn't, do I give to God? The problem isn't, has he changed me and am I kind to people? That's not the problem. The problem is that God's name was bore a reproach in this church. Stay with me. 
by the way certain people lived. Come on, and I'm not talking about just behind the pulpit. I'm talking about in the pew. Come on, I'm going after everybody, including myself. Because if we're living contrary to what we know we are supposed to be living, then we have defiled the name of God. Because the Bible says, do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. That does not mean cussing. I wished it did because I've never said GD in a day in my life. I didn't hear no amens. How many times have y'all said it? No, I won't. See, I wished it meant cussing. But it means this. Don't take the name of the Lord God in vain by representing yourself one way in the church and you live your life another way because now you've got my name profaned. You've taken it in vain. You're calling yourself something you are not willing to walk out and live out. And here's the problem with Faith Christian Center. The altars are broken. And until we settle the past, the name of the Lord can't be vindicated. I hope you hear what I'm saying. He didn't say, I'm going to vindicate a person. He said, I'm going to vindicate my name. You okay? Are you okay? He's praying. (laughs) I need a lawyer's interpretation of what that means. (laughs) Come on, listen to me. He wants to vindicate his name here. Real Christians and the real church of Jesus Christ is not afraid to confront situations that are painful, hurtful, disappointing. Come on, we don't just forgive and forget. Come on, that's not scriptural. Come on, I'm going to rattle your cage. Of course, we do forgive and we release them and we forget the offense they did. But listen, it just, it doesn't end there. We've got to vindicate the name of the Lord. And, and listen, the altars have been torn down. And Elijah steps up and he said, listen, there is a severe economic famine in the land. The resources are drying up. The economy and the money is shaky. People are hurting. They're losing their houses, foreclosures. Children are going to bed hungry because now we're having to stretch a penny much further than we did way back three years ago. And he steps up and he says, here's what I want you to understand. I've got to vindicate my name and rebuild the altar. Because you're the only answer I have. Come on, 
my church in the earth is my answer to coming in agreement with heaven. Nobody else can come in agreement with heaven and do it like heaven but my church. You're my hope. You're my answer. And if a nation is going to be blessed again and rain is going to come again and there is going to be a change in the earth, it's got to start first with a change in my people that realize you can't live one way and serve God another way because your altars are broken down. And when your altars are broken down, fire has nowhere to fall and divine order has nowhere to come and rain can't be released. Let me hurry up. What time are we? I gotta, I gotta, God help me. I know he's trying. Whatever the case, Elijah takes 12 stones from Mount Carmel. I personally feel that when Jezebel had him go out and look for Elijah, some of them went up to Mount Carmel because they knew that he went up there to pray and they were thinking he may be up there. And when they saw an altar to Jehovah God, I personally believe that the false prophets tore it down. Because listen to me, church, tonight. And like I said, I wish we had a week. Listen to me tonight. And please fill in the blanks. God, Holy Spirit will give you the blanks. But listen to me tonight. You cannot worship God without an altar. That's why I know that we have not even entered into what God calls worship. We may have entered into praise. We may have entered into high praise. But you can't enter into worship if the altar is broken down. Come on, it's going to get quiet in here. Because you can't worship God without a sacrifice. And you can't sacrifice without an altar. And that's why we have carnal Christians and self-centered Christians and Christians that can't resist temptation and keep ending up in a mess because conviction doesn't come from a prayer line. Conviction comes from an altar. Oh, y'all got to hear me. And you know what else happens at an altar that can't happen in the prayer line? Commitment. That's how we have people floating in and out of every church in this city. Come on, because they can't settle down and commit because you don't have any place to make that commitment. Mm -hmm. That's why people can get behind the pulpit, get on the praise team. And listen, I'm not knocking the praise team. They're wonderful. Uh, I love them. But that's why people can get behind the praise team, prayerless. Come on, because your prayer life is not developed in a prayer line. Your prayer life is developed when you have an altar. Amen. 
That's why some of us, come on, I'm blumping myself. Some of us are struggling about our consistency and discipline in prayer and reading the word. Come on, some of us, some of us are struggling with that. And we're saying, God, help us. And God said, I can't help you if you don't rebuild the altar because that's where the commitment is. And if you'll get committed to me at the altar, I'll make you a man and woman that's committed to prayer and committed to reading the word. And I will work such righteousness inside of you because I am the Lord your God that when temptation comes you don't say yes to it you say no to it because you're bound to this thing and you want to honor God rather than fulfill the desire of your flesh come on I'm preaching to myself I don't care who you call after the service Because church, what's fixing to happen in America, I need an altar. My commitment is not based on showing up at every service. My commitment is based when I rebuild that altar and I bow my knee. That's why you and I, come on, I'm preaching to me. That's why you and I are wrestling with temptation. Come on, sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. Come on, that's why some of us are struggling. Because an altar is where he alters your heart. Come on, your heart cannot be changed if you do not have an altar. Let me close. He takes these stones... And he digs a large trench around the altar, all the way around. And then he piles the wood on top of the altar. And as he piles it up, he gives the, 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 the word that they were to go with four large pots of water and pour it in the trench, pour it over the altar, and saturate the wood. And when the men finished... Elijah told him not only to do it one time, he told him to do it three times. Now, stay with me because I'm going to run through this. Elijah steps forward when the altar is repaired and listen to what he does. Praise. Come on, I'm talking to some people that love God here tonight. Come on, if you didn't love God, you wouldn't even be here. But we're struggling with our prayer life. The minute that altar is rebuilt, Elijah steps forth and out of his mouth comes a prayer that shakes heaven and fills earth. Why? Because prayers are not sealed in a prayer line. Now, stay with me. If any mum you sit, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray the prayer of faith. They'll be healed. I want you to know I did that Sunday morning. I called for the elders of this church. They came into the office. They anointed me with oil, and they prayed the prayer of faith. 
A prayer line is where I may be struggling in my marriage or struggling on my job. I'm not sure. I, I can be unemployed. I come to the prayer line. You agree and pray the prayer of faith with me. Come on. And we come into the prayer of agreement. But all of that is what I want God to do for me. The altar is who God becomes to me. And listen, I need both. Just just several months ago, it really looked like things were so bad. I just didn't see a way out. And I called for the elders, and I went up to the prayer line, and I'm telling you what, I had them lay hands on me and prayed the prayer of faith. Come on, you need people to agree with you if you need something done. But the altar was to reveal who God was, not what he could do. The altar has to do with relationship. Prayer has to do with relationship. In the word has to do with relationship. And they loved God and they needed God. And when Elijah told them to come up to Mount Carmel, they came. But what was broken down wasn't did they have faith. What was broken down is they weren't connected properly and biblically to relationship with God. And he understood that at the end of times, listen to me, what is going to challenge you is not prosperity and not your faith. you got to hear me. What's going to challenge you is your relationship with God. Because hell don't care what you get from God. Hell just cares if you ever connect relationship with God. Because then it's God. Greater things than you shall do upon this earth than I did. It doesn't mean something flaky outside the book. Greater things. Why? This one will do it. That one will do it. This one will do it. That one will do it. What is he saying? Greater things shall you do because all of you will have a relationship and you finally will seal that you're the son of a living God. It don't mean more miracles, more signs, more wonders. It just means that hell can't stop it because Jesus is everywhere. Let me close. Turn around and say, please do. What are these 12 th- stones? And you're just going to have to get the CD because I'm going to spit them out fast. And I promise you I could take a knife for each stone. 12 is the number of government. What God is saying is what's broken down in Faith Christian Center is not faith For God to do things, what's broken down is governmental order that God rules over your life. Mm -hmm. Bring it. Come on, not that God provides for your life, but God rules over your life. Mm -hmm. And church, I'm here to tell you, You can't get yourself in divine order 
without an altar. You may can become legalistic and religious and think you are in order because you have certain boundaries. But I'm here to tell you, without an altar, it never becomes divine order. And so let me close. Twelve stones. They were the sons of Jacob. You can find them in the book of Exodus. I'm going to tell you what each one of them mean. And every one of those things God has to restore in a church when he needs to vindicate his name. Please do not be offended at me. Please open your ear and hear when God has to step in and vindicate something because you do understand sin in any of our lives mean it's out of order. Come on, I don't care if we tell a lie. I don't care if we get mad. Come on, I don't care if we're prayerless. It's sin, and sin is the evidence my life is not in order. I love one of the rabbis that I talked to over in Israel, and I said, do you guys believe in sin? He said, well, most definitely we believe in sin. I said, well, do you handle sin? He said, oh, yeah. If there's sin in the congregation, we just tell them you're going in the office and we deal with it. I said, oh, I just wondered, you know, if you believed in sin and dealt with sin. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, in fact, we have a saying. It's not in the Bible, but we have a saying. I said, what is it? He said, we call sin temporary insanity because people chose to do what they knew would not honor God. And we just say they're temporarily insane. They've lost their mind. I said, I don't like that. These 12 stones are important. Please hear what they are. Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those were the 12 stones. And those 12 stones are the altar in which we base that we are Christians that want God's name vindicated and we want to live our life that will honor and please him. Number one, and I, if you are a faith person, please hear me, when I say faith person, that you're just tilted in that direction, everything's faith. I, I'm fixing to rattle your cage, but please stay with me. Because I believe in faith. I believe without faith it's impossible to please God. And I believe faith is the evidence of things not seen, but you hope for. Come on, I am a faith person. But the first stone that they laid down to restore that was called Jacob. And listen to me. Conviction comes from an altar. 
That's why we can live our life like we live it and it doesn't even bring remorse or shame or embarrassment. Listen, it's a sad thing when somebody has to expose you because you were too stubborn to let God uncover you. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And Lafayette Scales is an apostle in our life and speaks into my life. And I told him, anytime I'm acting crazy and don't have sense enough to let God uncover me, to deal with me and change me, please get me by the back of the neck and drag me in your office and lock the door and do not let me out until I find my brain. Jacob meant wrestling. I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. Listen to me. Those were not Jewish men. They are Gentiles and uncircumcised. Come on, Abraham was not a Jew, neither was Isaac, and neither was Jacob. Come on, you've got to understand because God understood this. I've already cut covenant with my Jewish people. Now I'm going to cut covenant with people that are uncircumcised. What he's saying? People that get saved, but their heart is yet to be dealt with. And Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, all three of them, were liars. Come on, I'm going to blow. Come on, every one of them were a liar. And he said, I'm the God of somebody that is uncircumcised. There's sin in your life that needs to be cut away. You are a deceiver and a liar, but I am going to change your name and I'm going to wrestle with you, put you in a hard place, drop a ladder down with angels going up and down because in the state you're in, you cannot get to me, but I will come to you and we're going to deal with this thing. Because you told people you belong to me. Come on, I wish I could park you. Jacob, go to Abraham, go to this land. Don't take you, don't take your family. <laughs> Abraham gets up, takes a lot of his nephew. Last time I looked, a nephew was family. Come on, the first step he took was disobedient. And then when he got fearful for his life, he lied about his wife and said it was his sister. Come on, and the king over that land was about to lay with her and have sexual affairs when a heathen heard God and said that's not his sister. Come on, that's his wife. And he came out to Abraham and said, you almost cursed me. Why? Because laying with another woman that's not your wife is a curse. That's Father Abraham. (laughs) Isaac, no better. Why? Come on, church. Because if you don't deal with your sins, your kids are going to act just like you. 
And Jacob was a deceiver, and God took him on the backside of the desert, put his head on a rock, and wrestled with him until he literally said to God, Do not let me go until you bless me. Come on, what am I saying? Because we have taken faith to the extreme, stay with me, faith people, because we've taken faith to the extreme, we no longer know how to wrestle with sin until God comes and gets it out of our life and heaven comes down and changes our thinking, come on, and the hard place becomes a God place and he changes our name to Israel, a prince who rules and represents a kingdom. And I'm telling you, we want to treat sin like some soft, pet it, don't offend anybody. Come on, church, it's about to kill them. Come on, and you want to pet it. What do y'all want me preaching? Church doesn't know how to wrestle. You know why? Because the altars broke down. You know what the next one is? Reuben. Behold a son. Why? Because when you wrestle with sin and God wins, you'll see the sun high and lifted up. Why? Because the enemy puts sin in our life and doesn't want us to wrestle, just wants us to have this confession. I'm okay. I told God I'm sorry. I'm just going to go on. I'm a person of faith. Come on. And we don't wrestle with that thing until it's dead. Come on. And we struggle with that thing until it's loose from us. And then while we don't recognize as hell knows, if you ever conquer it, you'll see the sun by revelation. And once you see him, you will become like him. Behold the son. You know what the third one was? Simeon. Hear and obey. Church, listen to me. How can you hear and obey God if you don't know him? So what happened, Jacob wrestled over his deception. He was doing it the wrong way, stole the birthright. Come on. Everything he was doing in God was crazy. And then God showed him the son, and then he said, because you have seen me, I am going to anoint your ear that you hear me, and you not only hear me, you obey me. And church, I don't know where you are, but sometime I obey and sometime I don't. Come on, I know y'all more spiritual than me. Sometimes I'm busy in the morning and I just throw a couple of prayers up. Come on, don't get quiet, don't get still. Come on, and then think I've given God something. You know what the next one was? Levi. You know what that means? Attached. When you wrestle over sin and he conquers it and you see the son and you hear and obey him, you are attached to who he is. 
tell you what, we're going to need that in this hour, that we're attached not to a church building, come on, and not to a ministry and a title, but we're attached to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, there's an attachment. You know what the next one was? Judah. You know what that is. Come on, tell me what it is. Praise. Come on. You know what? Real praise and shouts of victory will come when we know we're attached to one that we hear and obey and we behold by revelation and whatever tries to interfere in our life, we can wrestle it down because he's already won the victory. You know what was after Judah? Issachar. You know what Issachar means? Peace. I'm here to tell you people that live in sin, they don't have any peace. But boy, when you wrestle sin and have a revelation of the son that fought for you and conquered you and you hear and obey him and you're attached to him and you become one with him and you praise him because of who he is and what he's done in your life to separate you from from wrong choices and wrong voices and, and you praise him. I want to tell you there comes a peace and the peace is I know I'm right with God. And I'm here to tell you, I serve on six church boards and two Bible colleges. And I'm here to tell you, I don't even have to pray when I walk into those six churches that I'm on the board and those two Bible colleges because I can look in people's face and when they do not have peace, I know they need to wrestle with something. Peace. Is that not crazy? Worst famine America's ever known, and we can be people of praise and peace. Is that not crazy? Come on, we can lose our job tomorrow, and we're still full of praise and peace. Everybody in the whole church can hate us, and we're still full of praise and peace. Everybody else can do something crazy and God keeps your mind because you behold him and you hold on to him because you're attached to him and he don't act crazy and you have praise and peace. Peace. Church, I have never in my entire 73 years looked over churches, congregations, and church leadership and seen the void of peace. And Elijah picked up that stone and he said, its name is Issachar and you ought to have peace. You know, the next one was Zebulun, a continual city. And listen, we have lost the hope that he is coming again. Listen, I'm in this world, but I am not of this world. And I tell you, this is my final address. And I'm telling you, I don't care whether you believe in the rapture or not, but I promise you this, and I told a friend of mine that did not believe in the rapture, I told him when the trump sounds, I'm going up, and if you change your mind, grab a hold of me because I'm going to have enough power to lift you up with me because I'm out of here. Glory to God. 
I am gone. You can give me a $6 million house and the trump sound, you can have it. You can put a million dollars in my bank account, the trump sound, I'll co-sign with you because you can have it. Because he's going to catch away his church and, and we have lost the hope and confidence that it is not an escape, but it's a reward. Yes. Come on, he's not going to rapture the church to get us out of stuff. We're going to have to go through some stuff, but it is a reward that there is a city that eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God's preparing for them that love him. Yeah. Only thing I've asked God about the rapture is, God, please rapture me before I rupture. <laughs> you know what Benjamin means? Son of the right hand. Jesus ascended into heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father. And you know how he's sitting there? Listen to me. The Bible calls him the great intercessor. You know who he's praying for this very minute? You and I. He's praying that his church vindicate his name, rebuild the altar, and have a commitment and know who he is and have a prayer line to know what he does. But he's praying for us that sin does not conquer us. We conquer sin. And he's ever making intercession. Come on, if you ever feel like, well, the church isn't praying for me, it don't matter. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for you. There is never a time if you're a believer, you are not covered in prayer from heaven. Amen. Amen. And one of those stones meant son of the right hand, Dan. You know what Dan meant? judge come on church we struggle with judging what needs to be judged because listen we are not to be judgmental that's an attitude we're not to condemn come on or criticize that's an attitude but to judge means like a holy ghost chiropractor can you stand up I picked on you all night I'll just finish with you. (laughs) You know what judge means? I see something that's out of alignment with heaven and the counsel of the church to confront it pops that thing back in line so your body lines up with heaven. And we don't want judging in the church. We don't want people that are called to be pastoral to judge situations in our life. We don't want to bring it to the cross and bring it out in the light. We, we, well, I'm not going to be judgmental. No, you don't judge, you're not judgmental, but you judge what is out of line. And if it's out of line, the church is supposed to speak to it. And many a church has had a church split over having to judge leadership or judge something that's in the church. 
because we pick sides and we're never on God's side. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Come on, I'm leaving town. Turn around and say, that's the craziest woman. Come on, we're to judge. Why? Because it pops us back in line with God. And listen, if you judge, you get delivered. If you don't judge, you get destroyed. Because what you don't deal with will destroy you. I wish I could just park here and preach for an hour on church discipline. Let me finish. Naphtaline, throned one. Listen, he sits on the throne in power and majesty and glory and sovereignty and and he sits there and he knows he has finished. He knows it's done. He knows the power of the blood. He knows heaven is looking down and he's the enthroned one. And when we see the enthroned one, we'll worship him. Let me finish. Gad, a mighty army. Church, I long, I hope I live to see this. I'm 73 years old. I hope I live to see this. You were supposed to say you don't look it. You don't look it. <laughs> I hope I live to see this. I'm sincere about this as we close. All my life, I've been in church. Someone asked me when, when, <laughs> When did you start going to church? I said, when I was in my mother's belly. My mother was a graduate from Juilliard, and she played the organ in the church. And while I was in her belly, I sat on the organ bench. When she played for the symphony, she took me in her belly. I I just don't know of a time. I've never backslid. I don't know. I, I think God just looked and said, I got to keep her because she's so dumb. If she backslid, she wouldn't even know how to get back home. But I never backslid. God was just. But listen, I don't care if you've never backslid, you've never been to a bar, you never had sex out of marriage, you didn't smoke, spit, or cuss. Come on. I don't care if you didn't do any of those things. The only thing any of us have to boast about is God had mercy on us and by his grace he saved us. And listen, it took as much grace to save someone that was snotty and stuck up and religious as it did a whore or a prostitute. Come on, you've got to understand God does not weigh sin, he judges it. So we don't have anything to boast about tonight except God had mercy on me and saved me. And tonight, I just want to say to you that when I look at an army, it grieves me. Because I hope I live long enough, I do. That I see the church fight for each other rather than fight against each other. I just hope I live to see it. 
I just hope when we get to conflicts and we have to deal with them and we have to judge them with righteousness and the word, we don't choose sides and we start fighting against each other rather than fighting for each other. I just hope God, please hear me again. I hope I live to see the church become an army of God that will fight until there is victory. Amen. I don't know if I'll live to see it, but I pray if I don't live to see it, someone will hear my cry and you start crying out, God, let me see it. And Gad was an army. And Asher meant blessed one. Lord, help us understand tonight that when we are committed and we bow at your altar, we are blessed of the Lord. Church, blessings is not what you have. Blessings is who you have. I just hope that I can come down to the revelation. I am blessed of the Lord. I can wrestle over sin again because I don't want anything in my life that would weaken my commitment. I can behold a son because the Holy Ghost can give me revelation. I can hear and obey because he can anoint my ear and give me a heart after him. I can be attached to his kingdom. I can praise him. I can have peace of mind and rule over my emotions. And I can know a continual city that he's coming again. And I can know that he's praying because he's a son of the right hand of God, a great intercessor. I can know that he judges me, lest I be judged. I, I can know that he's throned in all of his glory. I can join with my brothers and sisters and be a mighty army of God. And I can say in the congregation, because the altar is restored, we are blessed of the Lord. And our concept of being blessed of God is so warped and out of context of the scripture. It is a scary thing because false teaching about blessing will make you think accumulating things is God's approval. God's approval is your life bows and surrenders and submits at the altar. Let me close. Turn, thank you for your patience. You can get up and leave if you want to. Uh, let me close. They got that water. It was a drought, no rain. They got it because 16 miles from Mount Carmel was the Mediterranean Sea full of salt. And they were willing to go 16 miles down and 16 miles up four times because they yielded to church authority that told them to do it. Come on, we don't want church authority telling us to do nothing. 
They went down four times and got that water and poured it on that wood and poured it on that altar and poured it in that trench until everything was saturated and that bull was saturated. Now, it it makes no sense to me. Number one, you do not put water on a sacrifice if you're fixing to call for fire. And number two, you don't put salt on a sacrifice if you want fire. Come on, you know your grandma told you if the kitchen gets on fire, throw salt on it. And there's salt and there's water on this thing. Church, listen to me. I know we're going a little later, and I'm praying, God, revive your body tonight. But let me tell you what that trench is. That's your pastor, John. Come on, recognize it. That's your pastor, John. That's the leadership here. What do they do? They have a plow in their hand, and they're digging a trench around the very altar of your heart. Come on. And they're digging it deep, and they're removing everything out of it. Why? So the water of the Word can sanctify you and saturate you. And it takes trip after trip after trip. We want the services to be 45 minutes, and we're out the door. But it takes time to go away. 18 miles one way and 18 miles back until your life is saturated. But I tell you, those that are committed to church leadership and show up, God is plowing and he's sanctifying and water is coming and salt is coming. Taste your tears. They are salty. God is healing the brokenhearted. You got to hear me. When I die, I hope people that come to my funeral aren't as stupid as people that come to other funerals. Because they look in, that person is dead, it is over, there's no breath in him. And you know what they say? She never looked better. That is the most stupid thing. Because you're saying she looks better dead than what we had to look look at when she was alive. I said to my son, do not look down in that box and tell me I'm looking better. Because I'll come alive again and slap you and die all over. (laughs) And listen, when I die, I don't know why we get so impressed with one another. We're just a bunch of dirt bags. You're just sitting next to dirt bags. And when you die and they put the coffin lid down, you're going to go back to dirt. Come on, that's what you're going to be. But we're really impressed with our dirt bag. But let me tell you, we said, well, nothing human is going to get in heaven. That's not biblical. There's one thing that gets in heaven. He's got a jar with your name on it. And every time... You shed a tear from the time you were a little bitty baby out of your mother's womb. Not one of them fell to the ground. He caught every one of them. And they are in his presence. Why? Oh, I wish I could park here. I got to shut up. Listen, there's a salt covenant with God. Come on, we don't even understand the blood covenant. Less well telling me we're going to have a salt covenant. But your tears are salty. 
And you know what? Back in the pioneer days, well, even back when I was growing up on the farm, we didn't run to the doctor. We didn't have money to go to the doctor. And if we got cut or bit by a snake or a spider, I'm telling you, they'd wash it off, and my grandmother or my mother would pour salt in that wound, and it would sting, and we'd scream and yell, but salt heals. You know what else salt does? If you have meat, it preserves. Come on, sometimes our tears in praise and worship, even because we're sinful or sorrowful, come come on, but God's, he's preserving something. What a mighty God. Oh, Lord. And tears roll down because he's preserving things. And you know what? When they had a new baby, because who always was born at home, they didn't go to the hospital. They take salt water and wash the afterbirth off the baby and cleanse it so the pores would open up, so the baby would breathe and, and function properly. And listen, sometimes our tears are birthing new things in God. And the night before I close, Pastor, please forgive me. I know we've gone long. But listen to me. Before I close tonight, I break the curse off of every man in this congregation that we told lies over your life when we said, little boys and big boys don't cry. And a little girl could fall and get a boo-boo on her knee and her daddy scoop her up. Does your boo-boo hurt? And a little boy could fall and feel the same pain and will say, big boys don't cry, stop it. And now we have men sitting under the curse of our words that don't know how to release their tears to God so they can be healed and preserved and they can birth new things. And in Jesus' name, God, I'm asking you to come with your authority and break every word and every curse spoken over every man in the name of Jesus. Cut it off and send it back to the source that our men can weep before the Lord. Because emotions of tears is not weakness. God created them and catches them. You know what else? When you got something in your eye and you start crying, it clears your vision. Yes, it does. Let me close. Jesus, I'm never going to come back. Pastor's looking at me like, shut up and sit down. I'm going to. That sacrifice was wet with water. You don't come to church in vain. The water of the word fills the trenches and the empty places of our life and digs up and upheavals. That's what your pastor's been doing. And when Elijah began to pray, he prayed, oh God, show him that I'm your servant, but most of all, show them that you're the God of fire so they'll turn their heart back to you. And I will tell you what, fire fell 
through that salt of tears, through that emptiness, through that plowing, through the water of the word, fire fell. Help me out, son. Get me out of here. (laughs) Elijah and his servant. He said, I hear the sound of rain. Church, let me tell you what faith does when the altars reveal. You'll hear things from heaven before you ever see them. There were no dark clouds. There were no rain. There was no wind. But his ear, because the altar had been rebuilt, he heard heaven. He said, I hear rain. Church, you won't hear above the chaos of what's fixing to happen prophetically in our world if your altar's torn down. But if you rebuild your altar, you'll hear sounds from heaven. He said, I hear rain. He sent his servant out seven times. Because this is the truth. There are people in the church because they won't rebuild their altar. They will never, ever hear heaven's sound. But you need to do. You and I build our altar. We'll hear heaven. He said, I hear rain. And on the seventh time, his servant came back and he said, I see the man's fist. It's rising up out of the sea. He said, you go tell Ahab that he better get in his chariot and he better get on down to Jerusalem because this is in the rain. And he didn't want to get caught in this rain. And listen, Ahab was the king. He had the best of chariots and the best of horses. And when Elijah told him that, he obeyed Elijah because he saw fire fall. And he got in his chariot and he told his servant, listen, he told him, Elijah told us to get back to Jerusalem because it's fixing to rain hard. And we don't want to get caught in the rain, so get on down there. Listen to me. There are people that will leave the church because they are not hearing a spiritual sound and they don't want the rain of heaven. And you know what happened when it rained? Elijah's standing there. I love this. Bald-headed. Come on, just bald-headed as you are. Just bald-headed. <laughs> it's about as bald-headed as you can get. <laughs> This bald-headed. You know what else? He was old. You know what else? He was overweight. So he was out of condition. Fat, bald-headed, and wrinkled. Come on, some of us ought to say amen. (laughs) And you know what? The winds begin to blow. The clouds begin to get dark. But this time it wasn't going to be the judgment of God. It was going to be God saying, because my church rebuilt the altar and established divine government order inside their boundaries, I'm going to bless them again. I'm going to do it again. Because I'm going to show them I'm God. And listen, with that, 
a little drop in. And I believe with all my heart that old bald head of Elijah felt that on top. And it began to drop here and began to drop there. And those little drops began to hit Elijah. And he felt it. And Elijah grabbed his garment. And the Bible said he outran the chariots of Ahab. Why? Because listen, church, if you'll rebuild your altar, the heavens will open and a drop of rain will come on you and we're going to be in the front. We're going to be the head and not the tail. The church is going to outrun this thing and they're going to see us full of strength and glory. And Elijah outran that thing and made it to Jarrell's before, before Ahab ever got there just because... He gave instruction to the people, build it again. Build it again. Put it on your prayer list. Begin to pray. Let those stones be in my heart. Let my life be a living sacrifice and an altar to God. Do it again, Lord. And he outran them. And my final word is Pastor John comes, and I promise you this is it. Some, <coughs> some, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God because when the altar is restored, his name is vindicated and our confidence and trust isn't in a chariot or a horse. It's in the name of the living God, Jehovah Yahweh, that rules and reigns forevermore. Would you stand to your feet and praise him just for a moment? Hallelujah.